I don't know how you preach after that. I just kind of want to get on the organ now. <laughs> there you go. Thanks, Corey. Thank you, choir. Thank you for the gift of music, Cindy and Corey, for what you bring. Can we offer praise to God for them again this morning? Amen. And would you pray with me, please? How good it is to give thanks to you, the one who woke us up this morning, the one who gave us the ability of our activities and limbs, the one who put in our spirit to come be a part of this gathering of people, those who have been called and sent. We honor you this morning. We honor your spirit. And so today, Holy Spirit, we welcome you in this place. We know that you are here. Speak to us now. Amen. Amen. The lesson this morning gives us a picture that's really interesting. And I would say that posture is everything. One of the things that I've learned as a musician that <laughs> makes me think back to my early years studying piano and pipe organ. And my instructors would say, your posture is everything. It takes me back to being a kid and my grandmother would make me stack textbooks on top, on top of my head because she knew that I was tall and I couldn't lean over like this walking, but I had to stand up straight. Posture is everything. It takes me back to a conversation with my grandfather who told me, if you ever get pulled over by the police, make sure that you put your hands like this on the wheel and make sure that you're looking straight forward and make sure you don't say anything except the answers to their questions because you don't know if your life might be taken. Posture is everything. It takes me back to remembering the words of Reverend Dr. John Perkins, the founder of the CCDA. And he said, God has always wanted the vulnerable in society to be cared for. Posture is everything. And as we look at this story this morning, this story of the persistent widow, I think there's a question that comes from what we've heard. And the question that I felt in my spirit as I was reading this text again over and over and over was this, how bad do you want it? See, the posture that we present shows to those around us what it is that we'll receive, but also what it is that we'll give. In the same way as it works with prayer, our posture shows God what it is that we're willing to receive, but even more so, what will we give? Because I know that when I pray, I don't like to pray with my hands clenched in a fist. I like to pray with my hands open to God, open to the spirit that is always blowing, open to the spirit that is always moving. And like this persistent widow, I can resonate with persistent prayer. See, prayer is not only what we offer to God in word, but prayer is offered to God in how we live. It's offered to God in the actions that we make. It's offered to God in our response in praise and adoration for all of who God is. And in this story, Jesus is showing us this conundrum, if you will. He's showing us this dichotomy of thought around persistence, the power of persistence, the power of posture. Posture is everything. 
If your posture is lazy, it says that you might not be so interested in a response from what you're looking for. If your posture is upright, it says I'm attentive to what's happening. If you're like me, sometimes your posture slumps over in sleep in a meeting where you're pretending like you're not. It doesn't happen all that often because I'm in meetings with some of you guys, so don't ever, don't ever look that way. There was once a judge in some city who never gave God a thought. And in addition to not thinking about God, that judge cared nothing for people, posture. A widow in that city kept after him, persistence. My rights are being violated, protect me. When I was reading this passage and becoming renewed and transformed by the words of life, my soul rang out resoundingly so, because I have felt time and time again this same feeling that she expressed. I know what it is to be unjustly treated by a judge, not in a courtroom because I've never gone to court, but by my wife's grandfather. He was a judge. And when we started dating, he asked her questions like, how many times has he been in jail? How many kids does he have? Does he have any education? You know, when those types of people come into our spaces, the property values go down. See, I know what it is to be judged and treated unfairly. I know what it is to be a part of a marginalized community that looks for hope, that looks for resolve. I know what it is to continue in persistence, like the persistence of my ancestors who cried out and said, how long, Lord? How long will we struggle? How long before freedom comes? I'm going to keep on walking, keep on talking, marching up to freedom's land. How long? Persistence. Persistent posture produces something on the inside of us. When my son was a baby, he's going to turn eight years old in January. It's amazing how time flies by. I remember when Erica would be rocking him and he would be cooing. And there was a certain noise that he would make when he was hungry. When he was ready for milk, there was a sound that was different than the cute cry. The parents in the room said amen, right? <laughs> it wasn't just the <laughs> But the cry grew in volume. It grew in weight. It grew in tenor, and the strength of that cry began to resound throughout the house. Such is the same of this woman. Such is the same of this widow. Isn't she a representation of the voice of the marginalized? Isn't she a representation of the posture that we should all have in prayer? In fact, the story tells us that this judge never gave her the time of day. But after this went on for quite some time, after she persisted, he even responded and said, I care nothing of what God thinks and even less of what people think. I can resonate with that too. I'm an Enneagram eight wing seven. I would say I'm a recovering Enneagram 
eight wing seven, but I don't want to say I'm in recovery. I want to say I'm in full embracing mode. <laughs> and what I'm learning on this journey is that sometimes people will think that I don't care at all about what they think. And that couldn't be further from the truth. In fact, I care very much about what people think. Not to the point that I allow it to dictate and rule my life, but in a place where I consider others. Isn't that something that we're taught to do? To walk justly, to love mercy, to act kindly? Isn't this what God calls us to do? And I believe that our posture in doing so produces much fruit. What kind of fruit does it produce? Well, I believe that prayer is needed to continue in action. For the church to be active and alive, we must pray. For the church to be active and alive, we must persist in crying out to God on behalf of those who are marginalized. We must persist in crying out to God that the amen would resound over and over again, that our agreement would be loud and clear. We stand with you. We stand with you as brothers and sisters and family in the kingdom of God. You know what I'm getting ready to say. The multiracial, multilingual, diverse, inclusive family of God. Our posture is everything. The scripture tells us to ask, to seek, and to knock. But at times it seems that our asking and our seeking and our knocking doesn't produce the results that we seek. How do we continue and carry on in a genuine expression of prayer? How do we do this when we don't see the results? How do you continue in the work of diversity and inclusion and equity among you when it seems that systems have been put in place to hold you down? How do you continue forward as a six foot five black male with size 16 shoe in ministry among people of different races and ethnicities and sexual identities and margins. How do you do this? How do you unite? How do you call forth the kingdom among us to look more like a kingdom? You see, I believe that prayer fuels us. And I believe that this woman, this widow in this story was fueled. Her persistence was a passion. It was like a fire, similar to those that were waiting in the upper room for the pouring out of the Spirit. They were waiting. They were crying out in loud voices and persisting in prayer. And then Jesus said to them as he was telling the story, Do you hear what the judge, corrupt as he is, is saying? How can we think that God won't step in and work justice? The old saints used to say, he may not come when you want him, but he'll be there right on time. You know what I'm talking about, Cindy. How do we do this? Genuine expression of prayer gives us the posture to carry on, to know that hope will not disappoint us, to know that prayer increases our level of thanksgiving and gives us the opportunity to raise our voices in praise and to say, God, even though it doesn't look like what I've been praying for and asking for, I'm going to trust you. 
It helps us to stir up on the inside the coals and the embers that might be starting to die. And it gives us a passion to say, in the midst of my trust, I don't know what your answer or what your response will be. I don't know how you're going to move in this situation. But like I've read and like I've heard and like I have seen, you show me over and over and over again that every mountain that seems too big is just an opportunity to trust in faith, to keep knocking, to keep seeking, to keep asking, to keep praying, to keep singing, to keep moving, to keep organizing, to keep acting, to keep empowering, to keep listening. You see, there was this exchange that happened between the widow and the judge. The widow is crying out. The widow is seeking. The widow is saying, I am not being treated fairly. What are you going to do about it? And I'm sure that the judge wasn't, as described in the passage, he clearly said, I don't care about people and I really don't care about what God thinks. But God cares. God cares about people. God cares about our thoughts. God cares about our emotions. God cares about us. God cares for you. Maybe you're sitting in this beautiful sanctuary this morning. And you've been walking a hard road. Maybe you're sitting in that pew and you're thinking, I hear you, sir, but I haven't seen the results. I've been knocking for years. My family's been knocking for generations. I was telling that story a little earlier about my son, Jaden, who will be eight years old in January. When my partner, Erica, and I started dating 16 years ago, like our second or third date, we picked our kids' names. Shh, that's weird, I know. <laughs> and when we selected the name Jaden, we didn't really know why until we started to research what his name meant. His name means Jehovah has seen and heard. Well, some eight years later, when we were ready to start having kids, as we thought, it just wasn't happening. We kept trying and trying and trying. We kept asking, seeking, and knocking. And we started to look at God as kind of this unfair judge. And we thought, you know that we want children. You know that we want our own children. And this is a sensitive topic for a lot of families. We couldn't understand why it wasn't happening in the way that we wanted, in the way that we designed. And so I began to say, let's look at other options. There are plenty of kids in the world who need families. And Erica was okay with that, but she said to me, I just have this sense that we need to be persistent. And so we continued to persist and nothing was happening. And I remember one day I was talking to the Lord in prayer. And I was expressing my heart to God. And oftentimes, my prayers to God look like tears. It's a language that I think is so strong in prayer. And I believe that God responded to my tears of persistence, my persistent cry and our persistent cry in asking him to bless us with children, 
with this gift that we had longed for. And one day we were in prayer and I felt this peace. I felt the spirit respond. And as I felt that response, what I recognized was God was not judging me unfairly, but God was walking with me in that process to produce more of God's nature in me. See, prayer is not for us to change God's heart. Prayer changes us. That widow persisted because as she was knocking on the door of this judge, it was changing her resolve. It was giving her the fortitude to keep on walking, to keep on talking, to keep on nudging. We all judge things unfairly. In fact, if you're human, you at one point or another in your life will find yourself unjustly judging. But what happened in my life as I was unjustly judging God, I was reminded of my state. Who am I? Who am I to judge this loving creator? Who am I to judge the one that gives me life? And we know that this judge was not offering this widow life. This judge was not offering her the chance to survive a situation. But this judge represents our thoughts. I often say in order for us to believe in prayer, we have to look past the middle of that word. Why? B-E-L-I-E-V-E. We must look past the lies that are in front of us to continue to persist in prayer. In fact, the widow in this parable functions as a model for discipleship. She functions as a model for what it looks like for us to have an example of persistent prayer. In fact, I would say that she represents a midwife, if you will, someone that works in the middle of the birthing process to see it through. Posture is everything. And I believe that the cry of our posture says to the Lord how bad we want something. Because we're spoiled, each one of us in this room, because we tend to think that it has to be our way or no way, we give up so easily, don't we? We knock for a little bit and then our knuckles start to hurt. We ask for a little bit and then our voices start to get weary and tired. Or maybe we work and move toward what it is that we think God's calling us in resolving injustice. But perhaps the Spirit is calling us to persist a little more. Perhaps the Spirit is inviting us to partner with God. Perhaps, like this widow, as she was resilient, she was faithful in the midst of injustice, in the midst of being treated unfairly, in the midst of having no power at all to change anything, she spoke with a voice to powerful systems and said, you will listen to me. She recognized that it was not in her own strength. Sorry, my Pentecostal roots come out sometimes. 
She recognized it was not in her own strength. It was not in her own power, but it was by the Spirit of God that was inside of her, giving her the strength to stand before unjust systems and say, I will not be quiet. I will not be silent. I will not shut up. You will listen to what I have to say because I am a daughter of the Most High God. We are children of the King of Kings. Is that Fritz Cryoff in the back right there? Hey, Pastor. We are children of the Most High God. And in the midst of our crying out, in the midst of our persistence, God shows up with the wind that we cannot see. God shows up with the wind that moves things out of the way. Because guess what? God doesn't care about obstacles. Obstacles are nothing to God. And so the widow continued in faithful resolve. Let the amen sound from God's people again. Let the amen, amen in prayer is equal to agreement. When we say amen, we are agreeing with what God has already done. When we say amen, we are saying, God, we agree to equality. God, we agree to discipling out racism. God, we agree to discipling in your kingdom. God, we agree to destructing and tearing down walls that have divided us. God, we agree to seeing equality among us. This widow, and even more so the judge, is teaching us something important here. It's teaching us to express in hard spaces, in systems that cause oppression. It's teaching us not to focus on the oppressor, but to focus on the one who breaks oppression, to focus on the one who grants liberty. My family, my ancestors, my great-grandparents were born slaves, some in Stearns, Kentucky, and some down in Alabama. They moved to the North in the 1940s to Chicago, where the racism wasn't as bad. And then they came over to West Michigan, of all places to the grand Dutch town of Holland, Michigan. In a space where they tell you, if you ain't Dutch, you ain't much. I heard you mumble it, I heard you. The German and, and other brothers and sisters in the room said, we know. And in a space, in a community that was so full of religion, some of those same folks would burn crosses in their yard on the north side of Holland. Imagine that. Some of those same folks would see them in a park and say racial slurs to them. And they would address my grandmother and say, get those inward kids out of here. But you know what I've learned through those stories? What I've learned through those moments is that all of those were pieces of prayer. The crying out and the injustice. The crying out and the injustice. The balance of faith being spelled risk and realizing that that risk could cause my life to be taken. 
but let the amen sound from God's people again. May we say amen, amen. until we are all lost in wonder, love, and praise. How bad do you want it? Amen. Thank <laughs> you.